right, very good. Let's uh, get cranking here. We are looking through Ephesians chapters four through six. If you don't know, Ephesians one through three, there's six chapters, the first half of the, of the letter, Paul's addressing mainly the identity of Jesus and our identity in him. And um, that's the platform, but we have moved uh, into chapters four through six, which actually has to do with how do we live in this earth from our identity. Um, we are children in Christ of a new kingdom. And uh, if we're truly following Jesus, the way that we live on this earth will change. Jeffrey's uh, alluding to his son saying that, you know, he's not the bad dad, now he's the good dad. Uh, things change. We live differently. We can't say that we're following Jesus and it's not changing our lives. And so Paul, who is a father of the church, cares about the church, wants to see the church actually become the fullness of what she's called to be, trains us through these four, three, excuse me, three chapters on life in the kingdom in this world. And so we've been talking about stuff about our our behavior, that we don't lie. And it's not about legalism. It's not about thou shalt not lie. It's replacing sinful behavior with the nature of Jesus in his kingdom. We don't get drunk on wine. Scripture doesn't say, by the way, that it's, that it's wrong to drink alcohol. Uh, but it does say that we shouldn't be getting drunk. And then it's, it alludes to why. And instead of that, rather do this, be filled with the Spirit that's going to actually meet that need that you're trying to meet by getting drunk, etc., etc. We talked last week about, or the last two weeks, about uh, marriage relationships. And while some of the stuff that we talk about maybe isn't popular, in a sense, with, with and I don't mean this arrogantly, we don't, that's not our concern about what's popular or not. We want what's popular in heaven. And that's what we preach. So that what is in heaven is in the earth in our lives. And we are trusting that we're building a community of people who want nothing more than Jesus and his kingdom. That, the, that that really is the solution to what Detroit ultimately needs. Not just church. Needs the authentic Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. So we talked about marriage. We talked about relationships with, as parents and children. And uh, we're going to probably conclude that with, just as Paul does in the sixth chapter of Ephesians today, with looking at workplace Relationships. We're talking today about God at work at work. God at work at work. So uh, I'm going to start off just by going back to when Paul gets into this in Ephesians chapter 5, this first verse. We're going to kind of by way of reminder and a little bit of overview of today, just start back there. And the, the first point that I want to remind us, is it maybe a little loud? It seems like there's like a lot of feedback for me. I don't know. But... Um, we're going to start with this important first verse of chapter 5. The idea is that for us to walk in the will of God, let me, let me give you some good news. It's not that you bear down and struggle and do your best to do the Christian thing. The, the doing the Christian thing really is Jesus having his way through us. In other words, it's not me, Jesus over here, me over here, and I'm trying to do what he wants me to do. It's he, by faith, 
lives inside of me. And as I obey him, as I take steps of faith in obedience to his ways, he, through his spirit, does through me what he wants to do. In the exact same way that when he was walking in this earth in bodily form, it wasn't just Jesus doing what he was doing. He said, I only do what I see my father doing. In fact, it was the father in Jesus and him and his father, Jesus manifesting in the earth what was happening in heaven. And we are called to do the exact same thing. And for us to do that in the earth, drum roll please, not really, but for us to do that in the earth, this is the platform that we do it upon, receiving and knowing how he loves us. Paul starts Ephesians chapter 5, beginning before he even addresses how we should live. He says, follow God's example, therefore, the NIV says, as dearly loved children. Before you can even know how you're supposed to live, grapple with your identity that you are dearly loved. It is in receiving the love, receiving, and it is kind of a thing that you kind of have to receive. It's, it's crazy, his love, because we know how undeserving we are. It's in receiving the reality of what Jesus did on a cross, that demonstration of how he loves us, paying the price, the punishment for our sins when he had no sin and he took it upon himself for us. Receiving that love becomes the basis of how we can trust him in obedience from that point forward. Then, when he says to us, do not get drunk on wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit, I know he loves me. And even if everything in me says, I want to get drunk, because I've gotten drunk and it feels nice, and I want to experience that, but then I hear the, his voice saying, do not get drunk, my, there's something in me that says, I know he loves me. Yeah. And so, therefore, I open my heart big time. Even if I don't understand it, even if everybody else around me gets drunk and gets high, there's something in me that says, that voice I trust. That voice I know loves me. That is the basis of how we walk out the will of Jesus. So here it is. Just a couple introductory thoughts for today. The gospel is the love of God. Right? The gospel is the love of God. It is the message. It is the, it is the, it is the proclamation that Jesus became, I don't want to get theological, that Jesus, what I said earlier, he died on a cross taking our punishment on our behalf. That's the love of God. Gospel actually means good news. And the way that we spread his love, because that's actually why we're here, and yes, I am going to talk about the workplace, but we're going to put it in the big picture context of why are we here, why do you even go to work, is to make known to those who have never seen God his love. And the way that, if the gospel is his love, the way we spread his love is by sharing the gospel. I'm not saying that we don't express practical uh, acts of his love. I'm not saying that. But I am certainly saying that you can't just spread the gospel by doing acts of love. At some point, the mouth has to open and you share under the anointing of the Holy Spirit just what Jeffrey did. This is what God has done in me. That, that births faith in the room and the people that, that hear it. And faith is born of the love of God as we share what he's done inside of us with other people. So the gospel is, is, is the love of God. The way we spread the love is by sharing the gospel. Your conduct in the workplace, 
creates the platform for you being able to share that message. If you treat your coworkers any which way you want, you're probably gonna struggle to have them having an open heart to you when it comes time to you wanting to share something of Jesus' love. They're gonna stand there and nod and say, what the heck do you know about God's love? You just spoke down to me all last week. Do you, you follow what I'm saying? Your conduct in work, we're talking about work, but I would say some of you are in school. It's school, it's your family, it's your natural, ordinary, non-church service world. The real you. That creates the platform for you to actually be able to do what it is that you're here for. If not but sharing the love of God, we don't actually have purpose in this earth. You know that, right? Otherwise, when we got born again and got saved, we might as well just go straight to heaven. Why doesn't God do that? Like, just rapture every person as they receive Jesus. Just take them up into heaven. There is a reason. It is so that you become his ambassador. And not only that, so the gospel is the love of God, the way that we spread the love of God is by sharing something, by witnessing, by telling and, and our conduct in the workplace creates a platform for us being able to share that. And our conduct, our obedience to his ways in the natural realms, the workplace, etc., also position us to walk under his blessing. How many of you want his blessing upon your work? His blessing is under his ways. We can't just do whatever we want and however we want to do it and expect God to bless it. His will and his way is already blessed. So if we just put our mind to seeking his will and his ways, we enter into a place that's already blessed of heaven. And so that's what we want to talk into right now. We're going to, be, we're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. But before we get there, I just want to say this, this comment as we're kind of working our way into there. Is first of all, so if we want to know how to conduct, how to live in the workplace that will allow us to spread the love of God and allow us to live under the blessing of heaven. First off, let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. We want to seek his will and his ways. Seek his will and his ways. Matthew chapter 6, 31 says this, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? How many of you ever worried about what, how you're going to take care of yourself, your natural needs? The people who are actually honest have their hands up. Every single one of us sometimes worry about the future, about what's going to happen, about how is it going to work, and you know what that produces? That produces a survival mentality that gets us to try to take things into our own hands and try to work out our own way, as opposed to what Jesus says here, verse 32, the pagans, in other words, those who do not have a covenant with God, the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here's the clincher, but seek first his kingdom, which means the realm on which his will is done. His kingdom is his will. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. And I just want to point out that and his righteousness. It is not just seeking the will of God. I am here in Detroit, Michigan. God has called me, Paul Nichols, and our family to plant a church in Detroit, Michigan. That's the kingdom. That's the will of God. But do you know that every day of my life while I walk this thing out, there are opportunities for me to compromise on his ways while I do his will? Do you follow what I'm saying? 
There's constant things that I could bend a little here, do a little this. It's not just seeking the kingdom of God. It's walking it out in his ways in the fear of the Lord and honoring him and ultimately trusting him when what looks like just cheating a little bit, just kind of cutting this corner a little bit, when it, what looks like is what's going to benefit you actually ends up blocking the blessing of heaven. His blessing comes in the context of, am I right? Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. So let's, from that, uh, from that place, let's read the key text, Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. Uh, we're, you're going to have to get over the word slaves. Certainly not a very popular word, in, uh, and right, rightfully so. But let's uh, actually realize that the word translated as slaves really carries with it more the idea, generally, of servants. And in this context, in workplace, in our modern-day context, would mainly be talking about employees. So in your mind, you can replace slaves with employees. You follow? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since they know, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So first idea that we want to get into here. There is no separation between the secular and the sacred in the kingdom of heaven. Church has twisted that up through, through the millennia. We've made church about this beautiful, and with all due respect, this be- a beautiful building. And people pour loads of money to create a building, which we call a what? And you go to a, you go to church, and this is the church. Biblically, not right. Biblically, the church is people. Every person who's placed their faith inside of Jesus, in, into Jesus, becomes the church, and church And the kingdom of heaven cannot be turned on and off like a switch. We do not have a church life. And then we go and we have a work life. And then we have a family life. Yes, we have work, we have family, we have church. We are the church when we're at work. We are the church when we're with our family. The kingdom of heaven is now, it's always, it's perpetual. The life of Jesus, Jesus, by the way, did not turn ministry on like a switch. He didn't kind of like have his time with the disciples and then he went off and now we're doing like non-ministry time. Jesus was the life of God 24-7. This is Ephesians 6. Verses 5 through 9. Not chapter 5. My apologies. The life of Jesus did not stop in the Holy Spirit life that was flowing through him. And therefore, my friends, there is no distinction in the kingdom of heaven between that which we call secular and that which we call sacred. Your job is every bit as sacred 
to God as what I am doing right now in articulating his word to his people. It is holy to the degree that you see it with him as holy. Let that put a whole new twist on how you approach work. It actually is worship. It is every bit as much of worship as the singing that we just did. In fact, the singing that we just did, in essence, is, can border into hypocrisy if we don't carry into practical, real life the thing of worship. And so, let me just take you real quick to 1 Timothy 3, chapter 4. I just want to reference this to get us thinking along a, a certain line. Paul, when he's talking about who should be ordained as the leaders of the church, this is some of what he says that leaders should have in their lives if they're going to be able, if they're going to be ready to be ordained in the leadership, eldership in the life of a church. And before I read this, wouldn't you agree with me that anyone who is leading, they're the ones who create culture. They're the ones who create the, the mode that the rest of the people following live in, right? And so when God has requirements for who's leading, those requirements would speak very loudly about what culture he once created and what space he wants people to be walking in. Am I right? So having said that, let's look at the requirements for eldership, pastoral leadership in the life of a church. Paul says to Timothy, he must manage his own family well. Does it say he must have a fantastic preaching ability? Now he needs to be apt to teach. I know some of your theologians are, but did it, does it talk about his charisma? Does it talk about his theological degree? It says manage his family. That would suggest to me that high on the list for God is not just our skills and our talents and our theological pedigree. It's that impractical, real-life reality Jesus is manifesting himself and developing our actual character must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a worthy, full of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Family, right? He must also have a good reputation with outsiders. Guess who that is? That's your coworkers. That's the people who know you outside of church, outside of your family, people that you mix with. Most of the people in here, assuming that you, you are working at the present, most of the outsiders in your life are your coworkers, people that mix with you in your neighborhood or, or in your, at work, right? So that he must have a good reputation with outsiders. Isn't that interesting? That that is a qualification for pastoral leadership. Got to have a good reputation with people in ordinary life so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. A couple questions I want to ask us. Would the people who live with us in our, in our houses... Would they say that our private life mirrors our message? This is not to condemn, but it is to rally us to say, to, to say, if this is not the case, let's let God do something in us that calls us to where our life behind closed doors in privacy and ordinary life mirrors the same message that we're preaching. Another question. Do those at work see Christ in me or do they just hear about him? Do they see him by virtue of my conduct, my decisions? 
Or do they actually lose respect for me because of all the stuff that I do that they know is wrong and blah, blah, blah. Lose my ability to witness because of my conduct. The platform, who in here has a calling? God's called you, actually. Everybody should have their hands up. <laughs> That's a trick question, actually. Every single one of you is called. Called. Called to represent him. Called with special gifts, special talents. The platform of your calling is actually, according to this scripture, your Christ-likeness in real life. For too long, the church has promoted people just because they've got some skills, talents, anointings, and, and whatnot. It is the reality of Christ being formed in you in real life that creates a platform for you to be released into influence and leadership and into whatever it is that your call is. So moving from there, let's go back to Ephesians, relating to your employers or superiors at work. Can I say before we even say that, that first, before we even talk about how we should conduct ourselves at work, I need to say this, because the scripture does, you need to work. Get a job. And if you don't believe me, look at Ephesians 4.28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So anyone, let's just make sure that we're creating culture here, anyone who is physically and mentally able to work should work. And if you're not, it is tantamount to stealing. You're mooching off of somebody else to do for you what you should be doing for yourself. And secondly, not only should you be doing for yourself, you shouldn't be doing for yourself. The scripture says you work so that you're able to give to others. That changes the whole idea of work. Work in the kingdom of heaven is not about survival. It's about being a blessing to the nations of the earth. And you say, I don't make enough. Well, let's look at budget. That's another topic of conversation we might need to look at. Or let's look at faith in God. That sowing of what you have is often an act of faith. But you work to be a blessing. So having said that, a little disclaimer before we get, get into it. Let's look back at Ephesians 6 starting in verses five. Slaves, I'm gonna read it again. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. If we can pop, pop that one up there. Um, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, pause. Can we just hear this right now and receive it as God's instruction to you? And to me, we're not just reading words. This is the word of God. Not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So, Let's dive into this over the next couple minutes. First of all, it says to obey and to serve your bosses, your employers, as you would Christ. And there are two words 
that Paul says there, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Let's dive into that just very generally. Respect would actually translated, the, the Greek word that's translated as respect, the idea there is fear, dread, or terror. That sounds exciting, right? To respect the scripture is, is actually saying something with that much weight, that to, to, uh, to relate to our superiors at work with a level of fear, dread, terror. In other words, respect. Now, I know that this is like making people shift in their seats. Some of us, because as we touched on last week, if we've had bad experiences with authority, especially I find oftentimes with fathers and mothers in your life, if you've had bad experiences, you have a very hard time relating to authority moving forward in your life. And the idea of having respect, fear, dread, terror towards an authority figure is, makes you squirm. But I wanna say that God is bigger than what's happened in your life and he can displace that so that you can live in grace, trusting a heavenly father to put, your, to put yourself in a position that may feel like you're making yourself vulnerable to somebody else's abuse when actually you're putting yourself under the blessing of heaven because there are also boundaries with the things that we're, about, we're talking about here. It's not just that you relate to them in fear, dread, and terror and they abuse you and treat you like a doormat and do whatever they want to you and that's okay. We're not saying that. But you do need to have the orientation that I'm respecting. So respect is fear, dread, and terror. And then it says respect and fear. That word for fear could be translated as trembling or quaking with fear. The idea here clearly is that the word of God instructs us to relate to authority, giving them their full place of authority in the context of work. The world is not going to teach us this. The world is going to tell us that we need to stand up for our rights, that we need to fight against authority. That's not kingdom. I, with all due respect to our wonderful nation, which I love, that is American. It is not kingdom, according to scripture. We need to differentiate that. Within the, so the idea here is to do what we just said but it's in the context of boundaries. Can everybody say boundaries? There are boundaries. A boundary would be your contract with your employer, which maps out the, the responsibilities that you have towards them and the responsibilities that you, they have towards you. Within the boundaries of this contract, you do what we're talking about. As soon as your employer is treating you in a way that is anti that contract or perhaps is anti the law that governs our land, that's a boundary that you have every right to stand up to and to respect and, and request that they respect that, require them to respect that. You follow? But until they've done that, this is the way that we relate to them, respect and fear. So as an example, I'm, most of you know I'm I'm not just a preacher, I'm also involved in real estate. So I, this applies to me too. And it applies in a way that's unique because I'm not employed by Keller Williams in a sense of receiving an hourly wage or a salary. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a self, I'm 1099 contracted. I, I'm a basically a self-employed business owner 
who is working under a brokerage. Does that make sense? So in Tamora over here, if you don't know, Tamora has a business called Tamora's Chair. She is crushing it in the, in the area of hairdressing. And uh, what? And wig making as well. Uh, she is self-employed. So when I'm talking about what I'm talking about here, she's maybe thinking like, who's my boss? Well, for her, in essence, her boss would be her customer because that's who's employing her for each thing. For me, it's the same thing, my clients. That's, that's my boss. Now, obviously, my broker is also a boss in the sense of if I start getting into a legal activity and you know, I need to submit to whatever the requirements are, but the, way, the, the application of this in my life would be with clients. But even, I've got one client, let's just use this as, as an example. He's using me and he's investing in Detroit. When that relationship started, he was finding out about some of what I knew and what I could do and skills and all this kind of stuff. And he started asking me to do this, 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 and this. Well, that sounds good, but we don't have a contract. We don't have, between the two of us at that time, what is called a buyer's agency agreement, where he is committing to pay me a commission or for the seller to pay me a commission at the close of a transaction in, in, in return for that, I'm doing these services. We didn't have that contract. Now, I could have just said, sure, I'm gonna do this and I'll do this and do this, but guess what? If we got to him buying a house, he would have had no contract with me and I would have done a whole bunch of work for somebody who had no intentions of me being financially rewarded. And that may sound Christ-like, but it's not. That's being abused and used and I would have to face my family and explain to them why I have no income. Well, because I didn't stand up to boundaries. So I had to say to this man, I'm happy to do this. Here's a buyer agency agreement. Put me to work for you and I'll, and I'll go to it. And he did it and today I'm, now I'm in the boundaries of a contract where I've agreed to certain things and I'm treating that guy with respect and fear. That makes sense? I'm serving that man. Now it's not weird. We're friends, we're mates, this guy, this client of mine. It's not like, Yes, master, <laughs> you know? It's, but I have a, an agreement, and if you're employed, you have an agreement with your worker, your employer, respect and fear within the context of that agreement, within the context of that contract. This next thing, though, turn your service at work into worship of Jesus. The following phrases that, I don't know if there's another slide that has underlining on it. If not, it, must, it just might not have carried. Oh, sweet, there it is. The underlined phrases behind me would suggest without a doubt that the idea of this is that work and your service to people in the context of work is actually ultimately service to Jesus. And see, we see the imperfections of the people that we're serving and we disconnect our heart because we don't want to serve them because we don't like them because they've not done well to us. And Jesus is saying, look past the face of the human and see me behind it because I came not to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for people who didn't deserve it. And if you'll follow me, you will wind up serving imperfect people because guess what? You also are imperfect. And, and deserving of not being served. So rather than judging and ha holding attitudes towards people, serving in the context, it's actually a way that we worship Jesus. And so these, these verses behind me or these phrases behind me clearly suggest that. He says, 
just as you would obey Christ. In other words, my obedience to whoever's my superior at work is not obedience just to that person. I'm obeying Jesus by respecting that person's authority. Well, they're not godly. They're, not, they're a sinner. They're not even a Christian. So? I guarantee you, if you do this, you will, you will gain leverage at work that your employer will say, we cannot let this person go. And leverage meaning negotiating tool. You create value for yourself with your employer that they don't want to let you go. And then when you start trying to get a pay raise, but you've had a crappy attitude, excuse me, towards your employer, can you pardon me? We'll delete that from the, uh, from the media file on, on our website. Your bad attitude, I don't mean to offend you, at work, good luck getting a pay raise. When you do what we're talking about, you create leverage. You want to be careful. You don't do it so that you can have leverage, but it is a positive benefit of what we're talking about. Just as you would obey Christ, as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, not the will of your employer. This is the will of God. Yeah, but my boss is the one who told me to do it, and he's not God. This is the will of God to relate to authority in this kind of way. As if you were serving the Lord. All of these phrases clearly tell us that serving the person is actually worshiping and serving Jesus. And related to what I just said, next thought, the reality, doing what we're talking about is actually that you win favor. Again, the scripture clearly says don't do it so that you gain favor. In fact, let's read that again in in verse... uh, Six says, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. So if, you're, if your performance and your attitude when your boss is watching you is different from what happens when they're not watching you, that's wrong. That's hypocrisy. That says that you're serving the person and not Jesus. Jesus is watching you the whole time. And if you keep your eye on him at work, then your, at, your, your performance and your attitude remains the same throughout. So you do win favor. It says not only to win favor because you know that the Lord will reward, in verse 8, each one for whatever they do. So you're not doing it to win favor, but guess what? This will win favor at work. So I want to challenge us all uh, as we're talking about this, for those of you who are working, I want to challenge everybody, whether you're employed or you are self-employed or you're salaried or paid by the hour, I want to encourage all of us to think like a small business owner or an entrepreneur in our job. So let's take an example. I can't use that as an example anymore. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Somebody out there. (laughs) Not me as an example. So let's say, let's pretend that somebody works at, I'm struggling to come up with a good example. Tim Hortons would have been good, so we're just going to use that. That might not be the case. Oh, perfect, there we go. Buffalo Wild Wings. So I guarantee you, Buffalo Wild Wings did not start as this multi-state, you know, national thing that's giving Buffalo Wild Wings all around America and, and, and just exploded with growth and it probably started with one particular franchise. 
In fact, uh, there's another place called Zaxby's that hasn't made its way up this far north of the Mason-Dixon, but it started where I went to college in Statesboro, Georgia, and has exploded around the south with the best, excuse me, chicken, uh, chicken wings and, and buffalo wings on the planet. Sorry, 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 bro. Once Zaxby's gets up here, you'll, you'll fully understand what I'm talking about, and then you'll work for them, but anyways. So that started, I remember the pilot shop was a, was a mobile home that was converted into a restaurant in a parking lot in Statesboro, Georgia. And oh my gosh, it was good. The menu today, 20 years later, is the exact same, recipes is the exact same, it's unbelievable. That started with a couple guys in college coming up with an experiment for one of their classes where they made a recipe for fried chicken, it became so popular that people said you should sell this stuff, and then one thing led to another, and they got into this thing where they made the, the store, and then they began to build this business, and they began to realize if we're going to continue to ride the wave of, of how big we can build this, we need to start bringing in other employers, em employees into this scenario. The moment that you, as a small business owner, are bringing in other employees into your thing, when you think about it from a small business owner and entrepreneur, you're only wanting to hire a person, not only if they can just kind of like take weight off of your shoulders so that you're not working so hard, you want them to come in and release you to do what you can do more of so that they can focus singly on that one task and do it better than you could so that ultimately the business becomes more profitable. When you are employed, you're employed ultimately by somebody who's thinking that way. You think that way. You think in terms of how is what I'm doing, not just ticking a box and doing all the little things, the minimum that I can do, am I bringing profit to this company? You say you're money driven. No, no, yeah, no, I'm not money driven. This is the way stuff works. You identify with the idea of those that you're serving and what they're trying to accomplish that will change the whole way you do what you do. And as you become more va va uh, 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 valuable in the context of what they're trying to achieve, the more leverage that you have to actually advance your career, the better your reputation is going to be, the better your resume is going to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. So having said those things, how can we, as the scripture says, serve God wholeheartedly at work? Just a couple thoughts, toss them out at you. One, this is a kind of review of what we've just said. Bring your worship into work. From this moment forward, let nobody who calls Border City Church home go to church and go to work. You are a believer, a child of God, and your life is his. You worship everywhere. So bring worship into your work. Just as an example, when I was trained at Keller Williams, we had classes three days a week for a couple hours. I had a 20 minute drive up to the class and I began to pray as I would make this drive up to 75 and 696 and over to Royal Oak. And, and I would pray and I would pray. I would say, God, I'm desperate. I want you to use me. You've put me in this classroom full of people who may or may not know you. I'm, I'm asking you to, you know, just, I, I just, expecting God's blessing upon me to, to use me in that place and to reflect him and, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need you. You know what happened during those classes? 
every day I would go in and I would be amazed at the conversation that would happen and the exercises that we did, how every time it seemed like my being a pastor or my faith would just naturally come out in a way that was positive. Most of the people in that room would have a very negative idea of a pastor and a Christian, and, and God made it so that it came out so that they could sense my love, that they but would wound up respecting my faith. And I feel like my entryway into that company, because of simply leaning into what God wants to do as I approached work, my orientation into that company became a positive witness. Does that make sense? It's not just going to work. And then we get to go to church. I gotta go to work, get home, be with family. It's all worship. Your service to your family is worship. It's a very important part of how God wants us to worship, actually. Secondly would be to believe and activate God's word in honoring people. Say, what the heck are you talking about? That scripture that we, right up there, that's what I'm talking about. So when you go to work tomorrow, I'm going to do the same, going to work tomorrow. Take this scripture and actively believe it. So that you remember as you're serving somebody like your boss who everybody else is trying to gossip about and talk about how much they don't like them, your attitude becomes one of Jesus's. You don't enter into the gossip and you're looking to serve this person because you're looking to serve Jesus because you have discovered through the scripture Jesus is the one who receives the glory and the, and the worship through it. Activate faith in the word of God as you do what you're doing tomorrow and on from there. Thirdly would be to seek his righteousness as much as you seek his will. It's one thing to be, and you know you're doing what God has willed. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm, you know, how, how noble is that? I've been called to move from South Africa to pastor a church. I can mess this up by not obeying his ways as much as his will. This thing could, could become, because of my own selfishness and my own whatever, about me rather than about him and about people. You follow what I'm saying? It's, 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 am I being honest with the IRS as I file taxes? <laughs> am I being honest when something happens at work and I don't want my boss to know? They probably should know, but I don't let them know. And I try to cover it up for my good. That's un, it's not Jesus. What, am I, whatever you fill in the blanks, when, you're, when, you're, when your coworkers are gossiping about somebody else or about one of the bosses and you just enter in, share your two cents, it's not the ways of God. You may be doing what God's called you to do, but not his ways. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and in that context, all of these things are added to you. And then fourthly, and lastly, serve imperfect people as though you were serving Jesus. Because guess what? You are. And then, um, I don't want to skip over this, but we're not going to uh, give really much time to it, but I do at least want to do justice to the scripture and read it and mention it. And, and uh, because some of you this will relate to, some of you it will relate to in the immediate, is verse 9 is the other side of the coin. When you're the one who's the employer or the one in some kind of authority at work, this relates to you. And masters, treat your slaves. Again, that's not talking about you being a slave owner. It's talking about people who are under you at work. 
who are answerable to you. Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours, I love how Paul puts it in that context, that you're actually level playing field before the Father. You just have a certain realm of responsibility in this earth. Is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. And so just two quick things. One, make your leadership in work in all of life primarily about representing Jesus. Not Jesus over here and you trying to act like him. Him living through you, not just when you're at church, but at work, at home, etc. And then secondly, is to remember that your authority is actually for the purpose of serving just like Jesus' authority is actually for. He is the head of the church because he came, became the savior of the body and laid down his life. That's authority in the kingdom of heaven. So it's to serve. It's to use your authority to, to create in people who are working for you the ultimate benefit to those that you are working for or to what God has given you responsibility for. To call the people who are answerable to you to serve them by helping them become what needs to happen to become the ultimate, most productive, fruitful thing. Make sense? So finally, let's just conclude with this. We can think of work as like this thing that God doesn't really care about. It's not that important. What's important is prayer. What's important is that I go to community group. What's important is reading the word of God. Are those things important? But from what we've talked about, would you agree with me that things like work, as in for some of us, like pushing paper, doing the ordinary, is it important in the economy of heaven? I'm giving you a hint with what I'm doing with my head. It is. And sometimes we can belittle it and think of it as not important. And I want to say this, that with regards to you walking out the full manifestation of what God has purposed for your life, being faithful with what seems small, laying down your life in the context of what seems so small is actually the platform that releases you in God's economy to enter into what he's called you to do. If you don't believe me, you can reference the life of King David. What I say about David, he was a, a king. He became king, but way before he was king, guess what? He was a shepherd boy of his father, he was out in a field tending sheep. I was at Greenfield Village yesterday. Sheep stink. He was tending sheep in a field that seems so mundane, so unimportant. How does God give a rip about some teenage boy out in a field with a bunch of sheep? But he was called to be king. And it was his faithfulness where nobody else saw, nobody. It was sheep and, and God. His faithfulness in that place, laying down his life and risking his life for sheep, prepared him to become what God had called him, which was not just king, it was shepherd to the flock of God, the people of God. And when he faced Goliath, I just want to read this from 1 Samuel 16. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear 
came and carried off a sheep from the flock. Let me pause right there and ask you, what would you do if you were keeping sheep and a lion or a bear came and took one of the sheep? Honestly, I would probably say, bon appetit, brother. I went after it, and I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine named Goliath, standing this tall, looking completely intimidating the rest of the armies of Israel, he will become like one of them because he who defies the because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And I can remember straight out of college, my first job was teaching second and third graders in this tiny Christian school in the church that we were a part of. I was getting paid a few peanuts every month. And I remember the Lord spoke that scripture to me. He said, I am training you like I trained David. And, and, uh, and you're, you're on the backside of the desert where no person is seeing, you're going to be doing things. And I kept on looking for like moments where I was going to like have my life threatened to protect these second and third graders. And it, and it never happened. But you know what did happen? God began to give me little opportunities just to be faithful, faithful, to not do it just for what I get, to be faithful with what God had given me to do, to not cheat, cheat or lie or to do the little things that are tempting to do in the course of an ordinary day to just learn to live godly. And that became the next step led to the next step led to the next step and ultimately seeing promises of God over my life being fulfilled because of faithfulness. I'm not trying to brag about me or as if I'm so holy. I'm saying let's all realize the small things of work. God sees it and that is the basis of him promoting you into more of what he's promised you for. Can we respond in, in uh, faith? Let's do that. Can you stand, please?